Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Out comes Robert Perez. <laughs> it just doesn't even get it right. Voodoo, voodoo, The second TF3 weekend review of the season and things are already taking shape in the Premier League. We're going to go a little bit around Europe and also talk with um, some excellent journalists tonight and Dave O'Brien. Dave, welcome back. Thanks, Lawrence. As always, a great introduction. Yes. Uh, We miss Adam already. Adam is now away for six weeks. We may be able to get him on at some point. Um, But, you know, that's subject to change. Terms and conditions apply. Seeing Adam for details. Uh, Chris Hennage, welcome back. Good evening. It's good to have you. Um, You've watched all the games this weekend, and that's what makes you fit to comment on them. I went to Old Trafford on Friday for the first Friday night match of this season. Um, I was with the Southampton fans, and I was on a Virgin Media bus. Uh, Virgin Media laid on uh, buses or uh, transport for 1,100 of the uh, away fans and made it all so they would only pay £20 to get into the game, which I thought was very generous of them. Um, And obviously a really good campaign on their behalf, um, you know, sort of going down the route of uh, 20 is plenty, I'd imagine. Um, And apparently everyone who visits this season, uh, Southampton's ground, the away fans only pay £20 to get into the stadium. Um, And if they've already paid more, then they will get a refund from Virgin Media, which I thought was a pretty good marketing campaign. Um, and something good that essentially, Chris, uh, and this isn't sponsored at all, but something good that essentially a sponsor can do because they're actually trying to make a, a real change on uh, sort of in, in the important parts of football. They are, and I think they deserve credit for that because they don't have to. Um, there is, I think, in general, a need in this country to, to try and <clears throat> help football fans more, especially ones... That the try to go to away games because it actually has a lot of costs that maybe you don't consider until you undertake that trip. So yeah. I think they deserve a, a lot of credit for trying to facilitate that more and, and help out because, again, it, at the crux of that whole argument, fans do make the atmosphere. They do improve the spectacle. So we have to, to help them as much as possible. Yeah, uh, and obviously I took the bus with the Southampton fans who had come up from all sorts of places but everyone everyone obviously met in Southampton Uh, some people coming from far and wide other people close Um, but obviously it it took about six and a half hours it was really awkward Uh, people saying oh it's only a half day off work you really have to take the whole day off work 
in order to get uh, between those two places. Some people sort of complaining about that. Um, and it, you know what? It was a little bit awkward. Um, it, it just was uh, bad to get to the game. And it, it was annoying. But then there was also something really good about playing a Friday night game, especially at Old Trafford. Um, Old Trafford is a really good place to go to. But it was it sort of started the weekend quite nicely. Uh, and you sort of wake up and think, oh, Saturday. No, Saturday didn't happen. Saturday is now here. There's something quite nice about playing on a on a uh, Friday night. And obviously, Dave, I saw the most expensive player of all time play. And he was very influential on the, the game. And obviously the result uh, between Manchester United and Southampton, which ultimately led to Manchester United winning 2-0. Well, yeah, Marwan Fellaini was was excellent, wasn't he? The most expensive footballer in the world. Um, got a nice new hairdo. It's really changed his his approach. He looks a lot calmer. Uh, Mourinho said in the press conference after the game that he was one of the players that he rang the second day in. He rang Marwan Fellaini and said, you know, don't listen to the media. You are in my plans. And mm. what we've seen is a, is a transformed Marwan Fellaini. A Marwan Fellaini that in the first game played the Paul Pogba-esque role, you know, getting into the penalty area, linking up in the final third and... Uh, on Friday night, a brilliant performance in defensive midfield. Just kept everything ticking along. It was really simple, playing, wasn't it? it? He, he made very, it very simple. It, it, what was nice about it was it looked like uh, the sort of intelligent swagger of a, not even intelligent, the sort of simple, uh, straightforward plan of a player who knew what he was asked to do. And that seems very different to what I think what Fellaini has been asked to do maybe further up the pitch in the past, where he was sort of caught out of position, etc., or caught in two minds, or you know wasn't quite able to. Uh, execute what his manager was asking. Yeah, I think so. I think that is the sim- simplistic approach that you need next to Paul Pogba. I think with Paul Pogba, we saw him absolutely explode on Friday night. You know, one of the best central midfield performances I've seen at United probably for the last four or five years. It was a- an unbelievable performance. So so diverse. He did Pogba did absolutely everything. Um, it was. Interesting to see how he was again blended, like five players blended into one. You know, he played the role of playmaker um, from deep positions, getting the ball forward. He drifted into that lovely, the, the inside left channel, um, constantly in that zone, um, taking people on, pulling off tricks, playing clever passes, trying to create goals, having shots at goal. It was just a, it was a complete performance from a central midfielder. Yeah, lovely, to have yeah. someone like Paul Pogba at Manchester United is crazy. His game by numbers really does paint a picture of how he did everything. You know, created two chances, three tackles, three shots on goal, five interceptions, dribbled past eight opponents. That is crazy numbers for a central midfielder and 67 passes, um, completing 55 of those. That was 15 more than any other United player on the pitch. But it was just everything. He tackled, he intercepted, he shot, he dribbled and he passed. What more do you want? And again, going back to last week, I was getting a little bit infuriated by the term box to box. Mm-hmm. I think the, the way to describe Paul Pogba is complete. I think that's it. I think that's the way that you describe a player of Paul Pogba's ability, technique, uh, aggression and stamina. It's, he's a complete footballer. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, he's got the potential to become a complete footballer. He certainly, he certainly looked... Um, he looked very short on the ball. I really liked his runs. I was watching him from the Southampton uh, part of the ground, but it was still lovely to watch him. Um, and there was a great amount of appreciation for him, obviously. I really liked... I was interested in the way the United crowd reacted to him because he wasn't... It, it wasn't like there was sort of a mega applause as soon as he got on the ball. It was much more... 
that they were expecting to see something from him. And then as soon as he started doing that, then they, they began to applaud. It was quite interesting because that's different to maybe how some other fans would greet the new players. Um, but it, it was it was a good, and I, I think you're right, Dave, an assured performance from Paul Pogba. And I'm looking forward, what I'm most looking forward to is seeing how other managers try to play Pogba and therefore how Mourinho deploys him in different games because Southampton was almost the perfect game for him to start in. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's an opponent that, People are unsure how well they're going to set up this season, but they're certainly one that are well-respected in the Premier League. We forget that they finished just sixth last season, which is ahead of the likes of West Ham, etc. And they're still sort of finding the way they can break another team down, but they're they're not so confident that they're going to go to United and swagger. And it was a very Mourinho-esque performance from United, um, Chris. So, I mean, it it was was certainly very interesting to watch live uh, within Old Trafford because... The atmosphere for the first home game of the season was sometimes a little bit flat. And I think that the, the crowd were almost saying, or the, the, the overall feeling of the, the stadium was that they wanted to be impressed. And I think they almost didn't want to fawn over their side too early. No, I think, <clears throat> I think they wanted the Man United players to actually pull them in, as opposed to inspiring them the other way around. I, I thought the start of the game, I mean, Pogba's first touch wasn't that great. I thought after that, though, he grew into the game. He, he started to understand what his role was. I think he started to actually do what he did a lot for Juventus. And I think that helped him a lot because that was one of my curiosities with, with him coming here was how would his game change? Because it's not the same as it is in Serie A. And yet, actually, for the most part, he did a lot of the same things, which I think is a good sign. In general, though, Man United, I think, compare them to, to Van Hal, compare them to Moyes, because I think you have to. They've, they've just got more ability in them inherently. I think that's the biggest thing. You've got someone like Zlatan who can actually lead the line. I don't think they had the same kind of player when they were trying to put Wayne Rooney up there and, and any variety of other players. Well, I mean, they've now but, got... but Chris, should we also face it that, I mean, I, I see where you're going with that point, but at the same time, uh, I don't know, there's always something about a Mourinho side that you slightly feel there's an element of, uh, there's obviously this swagger, but there's also an element of vulnerability. And I, I've got to admit that I do still see that about United because Southampton put in some great chances early on. And I think a lot of people, uh, we were with a sort of neutral uh, set of people because obviously we were with the Virgin Media guys as well and a couple of other people who sort of came along for PR purposes. Uh, there were no cucumber sandwiches. Um, but they they were they were sort of acknowledging that United looked a little bit vulnerable at times, or they, if Southampton had made better decisions, then they would have uh, it would have been a different game. And actually, I think what we forget is that it's not. I mean, I, you know, we can debate the penalty if you want to. I think it is a penalty, but I do think it's a very soft penalty. Um, and the, the you know the, the changing point of the game was essentially the Zlatan header, which was just a, a ridiculously powerful. Incre- I mean, it, it was unconventional to say the least, the way that he got up and got through between those two players. It was almost cartoon-esque. It was. I I, for what it's worth, I don't think it was a penalty. But what sure. I think they have gained, and this is something that they used to have many years ago under Ferguson and sort of in that peak period, was you could go to Old Trafford, play well for 20, 30 minutes, maybe even 40, maybe even longer. But just kind of one mistake, one poor judgment, yeah. They could just create something from nothing. And I think when you look at the Moyes era, you look at the, what was it, 81 crosses against Fulham, even the Van Gaal era, they didn't have someone that essentially could exploit what wasn't even a big mistake. It was just yeah. a, a small error, which in the case of uh, the Zlatan header, it's Jose Fonte going too far forward, thinking that uh, class is not going to be able to deal with 
the aerial presence of his marker, and boom, there's a goal. That's what I think they've gained. They've gained that ability to exploit what is a half chance and turn it into a goal-scoring opportunity. I don't know if they had that um, last season in particular. If a team sat deep, it was far too easy, whereas now that's just not going to be the case. They're going to have options to, to get in and, and at least unsettle you. And Dave, what, what was really interesting was uh, the way that Mourinho set the side out. I mean, there's no classic, there's no... It, I mean, Fellaini could be recognised as a defensive midfielder. Pogba could be recognised as a player who's got the ability to play deep. There was no one in that team. And even when Southampton, even when he sort of wanted to shut the game down, he shut the game down not through putting on defensive players, essentially, or not through changing the, the shape of the side to make it more defensive. He'd almost, I, I think Southampton had almost telegraphed a little bit too much the way that they wanted to play. And it, it seemed clear to Mourinho how he needed to peg them back. And so he brought on the Mkhitaryan, uh, the Mkhitaryan. Um, he pushed Pogba further forward and, and Martial was in the middle driving very much in the, the sort of Lingard role that we saw in the charity shield. Yeah, I think it's how they approach the game is completely different. No, just on Chris's point before, um, you know, United are taking their half chances and I think that is the big difference. You know, it's, it's great to highlight something like that, but also they're getting more people into the penalty area. It's something that really lacked under Louis van Gaal was actually people in the box. There were times last season where you'd look at United and there were six players behind the ball and, and one guy in the, in the box and the rest out wide and, and nobody overloading anything. You saw the Paul Pogba run creates the goal in a way. Like Chris mentions, Jose Font gets dragged to Paul Pogba. Again, opening up space for Zlatan. That just didn't happen last season, mm. um, which it needs to happen. You, know, you need to get people in the box to score goals if you can have possession of the football. But United didn't actually have the possession. Um, you look at the stats, you know, they, United had 46% possession, Southampton 54. Mourinho had a plan. He sit deep, counter-attack, um, push when they needed to push. You know, very uh, long driving runs from the likes of Pogba, the likes of Anthony Martial, and then bringing on McTierian, then bringing on uh, Ander Herrera to give, you know, to, to get the effort back up, to get the, the stamina back up to the right levels, to put in the last 20 minutes. It was just, it was a perfect performance. And tactically, United looked so much better than they did last season. Mm. Defensively, they just looked so solid. You know, United pressed very well last season under Van Gaal. But I prefer it when you draw the opposition out a little bit. And I think that's what um, Mourinho did to Southampton, was suck them out and then counter-attack. And it was perfect, absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah it was, it was excellent counter-attacking, was, I agree, yeah was the, the diamond. Obviously, it's, it's the full-backs have to give it width, and United just countered down the, the flanks. It was so simple, yet so effective. I think that's what Mourinho will do, is where he needs to play Pogba, you know, whether it is in a 4-2-3-1, whether it is in a 4-5-1, he'll know where to play him, he'll assess the opponent, and bang, Man United will win football games. And it, It's kind of that simple with Mourinho. He identifies a weakness, and he goes for it. He goes for the jugular. Yeah, I, I, I still think, though, Chris, uh, from being there, I, I still think Southampton will stay up this season. I think... Um, there's enough quality in that side, uh, even if maybe Fonte or uh, Van Dijk get get poached, uh, we'll still see enough quality within that side. Because actually, they they played some quite nice intricate football. Um, I think the worry mm. for them will be if someone like Dusan Tadic leaves, because he seems a bit more central uh, to what they want to do. Shane Long is is fantastic, and I think Redmond is a, a wonderful acquisition for them. Uh, both of those guys plundering uh, the back line, and you can it, it, it's so interesting to watch the way that they run. Uh, as soon mm. as the, the diamond sort of uh, puts the ball into just either side of the, the uh, centre circle, which is quite interesting. I um, think the other thing that changes as well is as, as the window progresses towards closing, a player's value shifts. So let's, for argument's sake, say they got an offer for Tadic of around £15 million at the start of July. That's maybe a lot more tempting than £15 million tomorrow. 
Yeah, and I, exactly. I think that Although I, I yeah, exactly. And I think uh, also that you know Southampton are a fascinating side um, in terms of the way they develop players, etc. So I think there's there's always something there for players to stay stay with, if you like. Um, and there's no, there's almost no harm in staying at Southampton. You know, you're going to get cared for. Put it that way. Um, anyway, Southampton gave me confidence. I, I think that I think they'll be fine this season. Uh, I don't think they'll go down. Having said that, now let's see. Um, now the other side of Manchester went to Stoke. Does anyone know if this quote is um, true? It, it was apparently Pep Guardiola saying for the first time in my life, "I will be go- for my first time in my life tomorrow. I will go to Stoke." Anyone know if that, anyone know if that quote is true? Which is fascinating, really, because it, Maybe. for so much of his career, he's been sort of told, how well can you do at Stoke, uh, on a wet Wednesday at Stoke? This was a, a breezy uh, Saturday, Dave. Yeah, it was a, it was a good game of, of football. I really enjoyed it. It was another, both City games so far, I've kind of really enjoyed the difference in style to Manchester United, for example. You know, Pep very much on the ball, but... It was a slight tactical tweak for me that really stood out, and that's the the use of the inverted fullbacks. We spoke about last week how City used inverted fullbacks in the very purest of ways last week with the making a, a two three four one formation. Mm. But fair fair play to Guardiola. He obviously saw that and thought this isn't going to work with the players I have. So if you look at City, the first thing that I noticed was the fullbacks instead of making that inside move, they were staying wide. And that just helped Manchester City so much. It opened up space in the middle um, for the likes of Silva, the likes of De Bruyne, but also it gave them some natural width, which they kind of struggled with um, the week before. It was a one-on-one situation that he created against uh, Sunderland. Now it was, uh, you know, creating two V1s with the fullbacks and so forth. It was a lot better for Manchester City. Very impressed with Raheem Sterling. I thought he had a a wonderful game, again, brilliant on the ball, but I was really, really impressed with Otamendi coming back into this side, commanding, physical, very, very good on the ball. And I think that Otamendi will be Pep's number one centre-back, I really do, uh, with company's injuries and with Pep wanting to assert himself on the squad. You know, we've already seen how he has uh, sort of pushed Joe Hart to the side. I think Otamendi can become, really become his, his leader at the back and maybe, potentially, you could look Look at Otamendi as being a, being a captain. You know, he's a very, very statistically a very good performance. Won 58 of 8% of his aerial duels, three interceptions, six clearances, 50% of his tackles won. It was just a really good, really good performance for Otamendi and uh, one that sort of justifies the fee that City played for last summer for me. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with company when he comes back? Again, it'd be quite interesting. If, if he does want to really push his uh, authority on the side, he'll drop him. He won't bring him back into the side as well. We, we've seen the best Premier League defences in recent years have a very solid two centre-backs and two full-backs that play week in, week out next to each other. I think you need that um, continuation. Zabaleta looked very good. Kolarov's been very impressive. But I just think John Stones and Otamendi works for me. Really, really does. You've got John Stones is quite calm, collective, and Otamendi, the aggressor of that partner, partnership. So it really works. But I think they just need to play together as much as possible. So if company were to come in, who's he going to displace out of those two? I, I'm just not too... I, I just don't think he, he could. He's a wonderful player, but... It could be time for Manchester City to, to move on from company, to, to move into this next generation of players. Yeah, there, there is a quite a natural transition uh, that seems to be being shaped in the media, at least, Chris. And Man City are dealing with it in a... Um, uh, I don't want to say... It isn't cold. It's, uh, I think you hit it really well. It was actually 
it's we've got a project we need to achieve this we've only got a, a finite amount of time because pep's only going to be around for so long we've only got so long with these players and there's certain players reaching their peak and there's a certain combination cocktail of these guys we need to put together we need to move hart on we probably need to move one or two other guys on that pep doesn't need let's just do that and it's probably best for both parties right and i i, I find that really fascinating it, it's it's changing coverage in the press the way that man city and pep are approaching this the thing is, <clears throat> they will only get credit for it if um, they achieve something with it. And equally, there will be significant revisionism if it is yes. um, bringing success. What you could say is, and I think it's it's funny that on the one hand, people will lament City and the way they've tried heart, but then in the same breath talk about how Arsene Wenger needs to get rid of Chamberlain and Walcott because they're clearly not delivering. I, don't I, mean, you would, I mean, Chris, you, you would argue that um, Hart, I mean, he first of all, he's played up more games for City. Um, he's made some fantastic saves. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's a very different uh, tunnel. I see what you're saying. Um, I, I don't debate contribution. By all means, I don't debate contribution in the slightest. The thing is, though, there comes a point where the, the player that you have does not fit the system, does not fit the situation. Sure. And to make that decision, actually, for everyone thinking that it's easy and, and all this kind of stuff, it's actually incredibly difficult. Because you have to be sure that what you're doing is the right thing. Look at Villas Boas when he was in Chelsea and how he tried to just get rid of Lampard and, and everyone who was sort of mid-30s and already quite established there. It blew up in his face massively. Now, Guardiola has chosen to do this and brought Caballero in. Now, Caballero for me doesn't have the pedigree that Joe Hart is, at least if you go back Bravo six months. does. They're not. Yeah, but he's been able to, to fashion a situation whereby the, the, the goalkeeper that was actually expected to leave in the summer is now the club's first choice sure so so in that sense i guess the the simplest way to put it is we we seem to think we know a lot more than pep guardiola about how pep guardiola system works yeah yeah and And i think we're also very generous towards him yeah we're very generous towards him in that sense aren't we in the way that there doesn't seem to be much generosity towards wenger at the moment despite the fact i mean maybe um familiarity breeds contempt in this sense I'm not saying that he is God or anything like that, or he is faultless. I think the decision he's made with Hart, though, at least in the long term, and also actually in the short term, will benefit City because he wants them to do something. And, you know, I know as Wenger said this recently about how he doesn't maybe get the credit for persevering with English players and buying them and all this kind of stuff. That feels like a very easy excuse and one I could never imagine Guardiola making. Because he's given Hart the opportunity. It's not as if he's come straight in and said, OK, I'm getting rid of him. He can't do this. He gave him a chance in the Arsenal friendly to try and be the goalkeeper that he wanted him to be. Someone that could play out from the back would be almost uh, an instigator of attacks and someone that could recycle the ball. I've watched the game. Hart can't do it. Doesn't feel comfortable doing it. Doesn't seem to have much control with his weak foot. If you've given someone the opportunity to do something, I don't think it's that cold and callous to then remove them. And, and when you see the likes of Joey Barton talk about how the club's image is changing and all that, part of the reason they didn't achieve the success was because they kept people like Barton around without wishing to be too no, cruel to I, him. No, I mean, it's not cruel, is it, Chris? I think, um, you know, J- Joey would probably admit that at some point. Uh, maybe not every There's day, a, but I think he probably... And I think the point is that actually they are going through a massive rebrand. The thing is, there's a way to balance sporting integrity and sentimentalism and it's it comes in the form of Eric Abidal is probably a good example of Barcelona 
It's not impossible. It can be difficult, though, because it means you have to make very difficult decisions and you have to cut players that maybe are still well-liked or still well-thought of. Or- surely that's also how the, ma- the manager speaks. I mean, look at Liverpool, Chris, and Jurgen Klopp. There are, there are players that have been there for a very... I mean, you know, Martin Skirtle, uh, the affection has sort of gone to him for him before, but, uh, by the end, but essentially he was still uh, a Liverpool... You wouldn't describe him as a legend, but he's certainly a, a, a Liverpool fan favourite for a while. And the same sort of goes for players like John Flanagan. And I think, you know, it's interesting to see the way that managers manage this because it doesn't sound like Pep's saying a lot. Well, this is the other thing as well, without wishing to make it too much of an Arsenal discussion. If you were to put a new manager in at Arsenal, I would imagine there would be some who would stay and get a new lease of life. There are some who would disappear and be sold on. That's essentially what's happened at City. So the likes of Sterling have had a new lease of life because he's changed the way that they play and changed what they're being asked to do Mm. so say last season I could definitely see a situation where that fourth goal doesn't occur because Raheem Sterling takes a shot and misses and then dents his own confidence instead he squares it to Nalito he gets an assist Nalito gets a goal and we're all praising how flowing that move was it's it is it's that familiarity breeds contempt it's a great way to put it because you need changes eventually you need to shift things around and that's the problem with this situation I find is that everyone's kind of heralded Guardiola's arrival, talked about how great he is, how talented he is, and then he makes a decision that essentially puts the the England's first choice goalkeeper on the bench, and people kind of kick off. And I don't understand why, because he had the opportunity to do it. He's not saying that Hart is a bad goalkeeper. He's not saying he's a bad player. He's saying that he doesn't fit the system. And I think, That's fine. in in some ways, there's almost a naivety or an ignorance, whichever way you want to paint it, to the fact that. Different players work better in different systems. And that Joe Hart can be good for a team like Everton. He could be good for a team like Man United even. But that doesn't mean he's going to work in the way that Pep Guardiola wants him to. And if they're ever going to achieve the standards they've set themselves, Champions League, etc., they're going to have to take those kind of risks. And he's the person who is willing to do that. He did it at Barcelona all those years ago with Deco and Co. Yeah, that is, you almost feel a bit sorry for Joe Hart because you'd imagine that if, say, Joe Hart had been doing a good job at another team that was maybe a bit lower down than City, he might be one of those goalkeepers that they were looking at and saying, hey, we could do something with him. But the fact is that he's been part of an era which almost makes him used goods. Um, and you feel a little bit sorry for him in that sense because it's, that's not necessarily his fault that he's had these kind of managers that's want, that have wanted to play a certain kind of system um, and he sort of developed in a certain way and, you know, maybe he hasn't been coached in the same way. Um, but, it, you know, ultimately, I think that's that's the problem with careers is they are very short. Um, and, you know, there are there are some key turns, uh, twists and turns within those. Uh, good, good analysis. Uh, Stoke, march on. Uh, however, they, they did say, I think Mark Hughes said post-game, that they, they felt a little bit hard done by with the penalties. Guys... The phrase new directive is constantly being used by, I'd say, everyone uh, to do with penalties now. Every season, people seem to sort of, um, uh, how can I put it, not understand the penalty rules. And then we always and then we always say, well, I wish that could be applied in every game. Excellent. Um, right. <laughs> Burnley Hold two. On, let's, let's oh. go back to that. I just couldn't. I'll beat my phone. Go for it, Dave. 
Well, I think it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? We saw a number of penalty decisions this weekend, but the the Sterling on the Sterling penalty, the penalty Sterling gave away, sorry, was atrocious. Um, I just but, yeah, don't. Would do you mean in the giving or the way that yeah, the no, I, I just, giving and sharing and receiving of pushes in the box? I think it just happens, right? It just I think that's taken the law too far, right? Just... Partly, although I also think that it was. I I think the match of the day analysis for once was sort of. Uh, a little bit on the nose because they kind of said look uh, he's he's blatantly not looking at the ball he's blatantly grabbing the player in an inappropriate way and it's also a massive mismatch surely there's something better than that yeah but it, it's sort of like uh, in a similar sense if Sterling wasn't pushing him yeah and he, I just I just think, think it's too it's gone too much but it, I mean if Sterling yeah. wasn't, if Sterling wasn't pushing him then Shawcross would have been in a great position to uh, head the ball uh, but then it's 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 also the understanding of that zonal system Pep's gone zonal we've seen that already well, he's gone um, zonal in front of the back four in that in a so the the four I think are man marking aren't they and then in front of that mm. there's a three which is zonal yeah yeah but it just it, it means that if you give penalties for that, then it'll be very difficult to defend in a zonal way, which you again is a bit of a. Yeah, I, I just don't. I, I'm, I'm not. I wasn't a fan of that decision. I just thought it was. It was also. I also thought the Stoke, the the, the other way, the Manchester City penalty was a bit of a. Yeah, both players pulling each other. Yeah, yeah. Otamendi had an absolute chunk of Shawcross's shirt, and yeah, it was very, very, very soft. I, I, I'd say both of those penalties shouldn't have been given. And then you referee like that, that they're both very small uh, contacts, let's say, but you're refereeing it in the same way, where they're both not penalties, they're both are penalties. And that's one thing you've got to say is a positive thing that the referee did was that he did award both of them. I, I mean, think if he awarded one but not the other, there's the issue, but he yeah, did keep it consistent. Yeah, I just but think I mean, it's a bit too much. There is also an issue there, Dave, that, I mean, uh, you know, some other referees may not referee in the same way, and at the same time, if it comes to the end of the season and goals four in a competition are to count for something, then penalties are definitely a much easier way to get your goals four um, put up, essentially. But then, yeah, I suppose you can look at them both ways. Though. Do they deserve those goals, given that penalties were so soft? Um, it's, it's, but, but, you know, you can look at it whichever way you want. But I just think that, for me personally, I don't want to see penalties given for those types of things. It's, it's too soft. It's too much. And it also changes the game, because I think Mark Hughes said himself uh, that there was, there was the momentum felt like it was with Stoke at that point, and then, it's, and then it shifted. Um, although, you know, hashtag I am Mark Hughes. Um, that's been going very well this week, by the way. Um, anyway, uh, let's move on to the next game. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in the rest of the Premier League, and it's Burnley-Liverpool first. Dave, at Turf Moor, uh, Liverpool stepped out in their yellow kits, uh, which now I think they've now lost two games in. Uh, Mane didn't play, and Liverpool looked like they had zero energy. Early on, Burnley took advantage of this and pressed in the areas where you'd imagine that if Arsenal had done that the previous week... They may have come out as winners. Yeah, I think it was a very interesting game. Firstly, that kit is just disgusting. I don't think, There's I don't so many think, nice yeah. kits this season. Like the Fiorentina kit is very nice. That was showcased on Saturday night. Really good. Go and check it out if you've not seen it. A nice little polo neck, very clean cut. Couldn't sort of work as sportswear or just casual wear. But going back to the game, it was. I think you've got to give Burnley credit. I think they kept Liverpool outside their area. They pressed very well for the first goal. They nicked the ball. It was a lovely pressing trap. They caught Liverpool where it hurt. Stole the ball, one pass into the striker, brilliant finish. 
But I think the the thing you've got to look at is where Liverpool were having their shots from. They had 26 shots in the game from their 81%, 82% possession, which was the most possession in the Premier League game since records began. But those 17 of those 26 shots came from outside the area. For me, that's brilliant defending. If you're limiting your opponent to taking pot shots from range, that's fine. Yes, Coutinho will score um, one worldie every... 100 shots fine you know that you, you accept those goals going in but if you look at the numbers and look at the whole thing that's a good way to defend keeping your opponents outside your area and they're very tight very close together they were you know the right players were moving out of the shape to press at the right time it was a very impressive performance but I do you know there were some issues in this Liverpool team Jordan Henderson at defensive midfield I think is, isn't his role. I don't think he's going to be that player. You know, he's an energetic mid- midfielder. He's a shuttler. He he's not a holder for me. He needs, he need, I mean, Liverpool, yeah, I think Liverpool, Liverpool just need a defensive midfielder, right? Well, I mean, Liverpool's shape looked much better when they brought Grealish on. Um, I I think they did. I, I, I'm liking Adam Lallana in the position he's playing, but I, I again, I, I don't know if Liverpool have the personnel. And I'm not quite sure why Emre Chan isn't starting. Um, because at least I feel like he would be a slightly better choice than Henderson, um, just for yeah, what they're asking he, him to do. It's, it's unusual. But then, mm. I, you know, I, I, I think Jurgen Klopp will chalk this one up to, um, I mean, it's definitely not poor preparation. Liverpool got more than enough preparation time for all these games. But it, 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 I think what he was saying, there was a really interesting comment that I read on Twitter the other day that uh, Klopp said that the players are going to need guts if they're to continue. And someone tweeted that when he says guts, he didn't mean it in the English way. He meant it in the sense that they need to feel the game with their gut and they need to almost have an automatic way of playing. And it looked a little bit like Liverpool's automatic way of playing and where they're at isn't quite to the intensity that Klopp needs yet and it's not quite drilled into them yet what they need to do. And so in the previous week when they had uh, Mane and there was a little bit more um, creativity about the side, a little bit more drive, that, um, that they, could, they, they were almost forgiven for that because they did make the mistakes that uh, I think Klopp is looking to get rid of in the side. And Mane made up for those mistakes, as did Coutinho's fantastic strikes. Uh, and, and, you know, for a couple mm. of minutes it looked natural. And then suddenly they came up against Burnley and that, that natural idea and that the guts I think that uh, Klopp is talking about were broken and uh, w- w- they almost looked a little bit lost and as if they hadn't had a team talk and I found that very unusual Here's a question for you Lawrence, do you think the midfield the, sorry, the attacking three of Daniel Sturridge, Firmino and Coutinho works? Um, I mean it clearly didn't work against, uh, it didn't work against uh, Burnley I think it could work against another side but I think Dave you pointed out something really interesting about Sturridge and uh, I think Firmino is also an interesting one because I think Klopp wants him to be a little bit more automatic if that's how we're going to talk about it mm. or a little bit more uh, I don't know how to say it outside of like a and it's not this but like an almost the equivalent of a, a team dynamic of muscle memory um, mm. so I, the way that I would say is that I, I think the best performance I've seen from Daniel Sturridge in a while in a Liverpool shirt was when Liverpool played away to Manchester United in the Europa League yeah. second leg because he was dynamic, I think he led the line quite well. Um, he spread the play quite nicely, so he sort of dragged the defence from one side to the other, creating space for the other players around him. And he wasn't doing that for Liverpool the other day. Klopp said no, it was quite stationary, wasn't it? Yeah. It's was like everyone was coming towards the ball, and nobody was making that move in behind, and it but made that, it very predictable. But that was because Burnley sat back and did two banks of four. 
Um, and you know, I think that that foiled Sturridge because Liverpool needed to go out wide, but they didn't have that width because Coutinho mm. wants to cut in. And then Liverpool, the problem was for Liverpool, they don't have a left back right now, or they didn't have a left back on the pitch that wasn't going to cut him back in on his right foot, which was James Milner. So I think there were a couple of square pegs in round holes for Liverpool the other day. But I think over time, we'll see those square pegs um, sort of round their edges a little bit. Um, and I, I still think Liverpool are probably going to buy another left-back. And actually, it's interesting because, you know, Alberto Moreno, in his fascinating comments about Lionel Messi making mistakes, um, are either him looking uh, to basically keep his value in the transfer market or him saying, you know, I'm going to be a left-back this season, trust me. Um, and, you know, and to be fair to Klopp, he's turned other players around, uh, such as Lovren and, you know, I think Sacco as well. And um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, is he going to go down the Mignolet route or is he going to go down the John Arnorisa route? <laughs> Liverpool have had some really great left-backs in their time. I think that's where, that's where a lot of clubs suffer is that actually they feel like the fans, have seen, the fans have seen the pedigree of people they've had in the past and how simple that role is. And then when, it com- when a new player comes in, there's almost a sense of frustration uh, that, that the, the simple things aren't done. Um, and you know, I think most football fans are sort of used to seeing that, but I, I definitely think when it comes to Liverpool fans, they they want their they want their left back and they want their right back to play in a very specific way. And actually, Klein and Moreno or Klein and Milner haven't offered those ways um, more recently, uh, at least this season, even against Arsenal. I'd say. Um, I think with just like going back to that, I think that the lack of defensive midfielder is kind of costing you in in that way as well. That maybe they don't feel so comfortable in a defensive shape without a defensive midfielder, without someone holding for them to push on, or maybe. There's something there. Like I really do feel Henderson didn't work at all. You know, look at the Burnley second goal. Yeah. As a defensive midfielder, he makes he makes three moves and they're all the wrong move. Firstly, he tries to drop back into um, a better defensive position, sort of you know trying to cover his centre backs. Then they get drawn out. Then he drops into a centre back position and he doesn't make a challenge once, or he doesn't go towards the ball. And in the day, just doesn't affect the the movement or the the goal at all in a positive way. So I think that could be. Uh, sort of what Liverpool need is maybe they need that deep line playmaker that can drop between the centre-backs that can become a third centre-back that will give them that um, solidity on the counter-attack but also can switch the play maybe that's another thing Liverpool need to do is switch it a bit quicker from defensive midfield I'd also say that this Liverpool side is almost it's almost a gambling team in the sense that at the moment it's set up um, to play very much to its own strengths but not necessarily set up well to sustain uh, a defensive shape whilst um, another side is attacking. And I think it's very much set up to sort of intercept the ball very high up the pitch and almost negate the need for um, for a defensive midfielder. Um, but we'll see. I mean, that, you know, that's quite ridiculous. Weird though, weird though. Again, Klopp's, Klopp's best teams and Klopp's really good teams always had a natural defensive midfielder. Um, yeah. You know, Sven Bender or... Who was the fellow before? The old, the legend... Oh, this is annoying. Borussia Dortmund legendary defensive midfielder. Oh, this is going to kill me. Anyway, we'll have to we'll have to come back. It will just come to my head, sorry, Lawrence, in the next five just minutes. Shout, it shout it out. out. Yeah, shout it out when you when you think of it. Um, anyway, Liverpool have conceded five in two. Uh, definitely worrying for Klopp. Uh, on the other side of that, Chris, something that's really worrying is um, tweets from 2012. Uh, you know, we're all reminded of that at the moment because the Olympics are on. Uh, but we're also reminded, reminded that that was a, a huge time of homophobia within football. Um, I'm, 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 being, I'm being a little bit trite because actually the way that people are treating it 
is I'm, I'm finding it difficult because it, it's clear that these comments uh, from Grey are incendiary. They're awful. They're, they're about a minority. That Sebastian Kell! Brilliant. It, almost the worst time you could cut in. Um, he, it, it was, it, they're clearly of a minority who aren't well supported within the game. And um, it's taking us back to a, a time well before 20s, you know, sort of in the 60s and the 70s England, when uh, those things were clearly not, not acceptable, but were, were much more widely used. And I've, I'm finding it really unusual that the comments by um, a footballer, uh, which, which essentially, if you found those on a fans page... Or if a fan had said those things, they'd be told you're not allowed on a football ground again. Definitely. <clears throat> um, I think with things like this, I try to take a little bit of it on face value in, in respect to his apology. I don't think it was perhaps as universal as an apology as it should have been. It was essentially said that if, if you were offended by his comments, he apologised. I think it's difficult not to be offended by them because... Because they're awful. They, they are they very. Are, they're horrible comments, aren't they? They're very vitriolic. They're very, very passionate as well. If if that makes sense, I'm not sure yeah. if that's even the right word to use. But do you know what I mean? They kind of. There's a sense. There's a genuine. I mean, he's definitely committed to them. Let's put it that way. At uh, that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think. I think what was interesting, or perhaps you have to really choose your words here. I think. What I took away from his apology was the fact that he's changed significantly since that point. And my only thought could be that if you're someone that has not perhaps been raised around a variety of people, you you could have that narrow-mindedness, you could have that ignorance to you. And perhaps as he's you know, become older, as he's moved to different places, I mean, he was at Brentford, so he was in, in London, for example... Maybe you've, during your travels, been able to to see firsthand that there is actually nothing wrong with. I think you misread Brentford a little bit, but fair enough. Um, and and yeah, the, I just I just not, read the, the, I mean, to be fair, there, there isn't yeah, there, there isn't really much of a comment. The thing is, you try and dress all these kind of things up and, and give a very eloquent and, and articulate response. I just came away thinking you're a dick. You're a, a real dick. Yeah, and and. Even if you do apologise, that doesn't change the fact that I think you're a bit of a dick. Because, yeah. right, you can tell me you've changed, but you were there at some point. That's almost bad enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, although, can... I mean, it, it is difficult because actually um, it, there's a lot of hypocrisy within the game that certain people... I mean, for instance, you know, uh, we, a lot of people were interested in uh, Mazzari and uh, Conte coming over. Uh, two Italian managers who aren't uh, maybe... Um, it's not unusual to hear Italian managers sometimes say homophobic things. It was just last season that we had a sort of homophobic episode, if you like, within Syria, where people uh, were speaking about journalists in such a way. I mean, Mancini sort of lost, almost lost the dressing room and lost some of the people in the press because of that. It made his job more difficult. Yeah, and, and you know, that's a good sign. I think the fact that, again, these comments weren't brushed away is another good sign. Um, yes. The the thing, I don't know. I just yeah. I just come away thinking you are a bit of a knob. Yeah. Are you I, yeah. I just that you can't even draw kind of uh, your own takeaways from. It. I don't think there's any point in saying, you know, what we think because obviously we're not bigoted I, in that what, way. What I, I, just, I, I mean, Chris, what, what I guess what I find, I mean, it, it seems it's very clear 
um, that these comments are, uh, and I, I don't want to really want to repeat them. They're homophobic. Let's just put it that way. Um, and you know, whatever your beliefs are uh, on on press freedom, the fact is, Chris, that this season we've seen a lot of times, and that's what I find interesting uh, about the press this year, where things have very how can I put this in a very convenient sense, come out at just the right moment. And that's not, that's what worries me a little bit about the press is that it almost feels like these, these comments were sat on, um, in the same way that the interview, uh, with Anthony Martial's ex-girlfriend was, was filmed and then released just on the day of the game by the sun. And it worries me a little bit because that's not necessarily the right, uh, way that the press should be approaching reporting news mm. and that's it's not sort of let's wait for this to get good and then let's report it it's it's yes and the, the, the and when i say good i mean let's wait for you know let's wait for someone to build them up to knock them down it's worrying me a little bit kill a moment essentially yeah I, and, and the, the, the contrast same, of he's just scored his first premier league goal. no exactly. i think that's and, a, and that's the same and the same with dejan lovren and the same with uh, a number of other players i mean dejan lovren had been cheated on himself and i don't really want to talk much more about it than that but the point is that with all these things and all these situations all we've had is someone clearly sitting on those, waiting. Yeah, that <clears throat> I think that is a concern. Um, I, I also think also that, sorry. Can I just say that's not to defend? Um, that's not to defend no, at all. And sort no. of say, God, I feel sorry for him. It is basic, you know. Like Chris says, I think we're all agreed. It's a bit of a dick. It, it's a wholeheartedly dick thing to say. But the point is, uh, you know, that the press is st- the press still have a responsibility. Uh, you know, it's the fourth estate almost. I think. You know, I think Burnley have to to maybe try and do something with this as well. Um, they've they've released a statement saying that they're aware of them and that they don't condone them, obviously, um, and that they support the FA's campaign and that the player himself has denied any kind of homophobic feelings. Now, I think it would be a good opportunity then because this is the thing we have to try and take a positive or make a, a forward motion that's positive off the back of this it would be good I think to see him then involved with something to see him kind of move forward with some sort of anti-homophobia see if there's if there's perhaps a, a group of Burnley supporters that are that are gay or something just something that kind of moves the conversation forward because again while we can sit here and, and identify it's wrong I guarantee there will be people who've read that and thought yeah that's right. And and almost, if anything, those are the people we need to target because actually in an instance like this, I think uh, rejecting someone, ex, you know, excluding someone is actually the, the easiest way to reinforce those beliefs. What you need to do is you need to almost integrate them more and then educate off the back of it and show them that actually, you know, the person sat next to you could be gay, for example. It, it, it really is. What, we're all just skin and bone at the end of the day. The things that differentiate us shouldn't separate us. A really lovely comment. Uh, let's move on uh, to uh, where can we go next? I mean, there's some really fascinating uh, games of the weekend to go to. Um, yes, let's go Swansea Hull. Uh, Dave, what? Swansea nil, Hull two. Unmute and speak, Dave. <laughs> Sorry again, my phone was being very silly. That's fine. Uh, yeah, an abs- a crazy, crazy result. Um, uh, you know, something that's massively against what we've all expected. Hull, you know, massively performing in both the games they've played so far. But 
I think it's going to be a t- you know it's going to be a matter of time before it crashes. But fair play to them, you know they're picking up wins, getting points, and that is good in the long run to avoid relegation. But yeah, it's um, it's interesting. This Swansea team again has really got two faces. Um, you know it can perform massively, do very well, but it can also uh, struggle um, and crash and burn like it did against Hull. Chris, uh, any observations on this Hull City side? I mean, someone tweeted in, and I can find said tweet during the time that you comment, uh, but basically they were saying, um, would it be better to not have a manager and have a lot of senior players? At this point, I'm sort of behind the manager. Chris. Oops. Uh, I think listening to to Mike Phelan's comments, it was interesting to know how structured the plan was because he said that he realised he doesn't have a variety of options on the bench. So actually it was about energy conservation more than anything and getting to the 75th minute and then seeing if they could attack at Swansea and go at them. And then obviously four minutes after that 75-minute mark, they managed to score a goal. They then get another one via another counter-attack. It's it's actually very astute by feeling, and and that's one of the interesting things we've seen enough uh, assistant managers at Man United go on to have really indifferent, if not poor, careers when they step up to the top job themselves. Mm-hmm. But the early signs are that actually feeling could be someone with with a little bit of douse to him and a little bit of uh, ability to lead as a manager because it is a very different job. I think it's naive to see otherwise. I think they just need to sign players. Hall. The difficulty is, and it goes back to what we said about Tadic before, teams know that there's only nine days left of the the market. So there's nine days left, um, and they have, I think, 11 or 12 fit senior players. So they're going to have teams put a a tax on that, I think, or a premium on that, and it's Mm. just going to get difficult. So I don't envy the the situation they face, but it's, it's one they can overcome, assuming... Of course, this is a massive assumption that the owner is willing to spend some money. Uh, yes, and I don't, I don't think they are. Um, yeah, fascinating. Uh, Spurs won Crystal Palace nil. Brand new signing, Victor Wanyama, scoring the goal, Dave. Um, but is Pardew, I think it's a technical term, fucked? <laughs> I think so. I don't know, actually. No, I think the signing of Benteke um, could be the thing that would get him unfucked. Uh, to put it nicely, yeah. um, it seems like uh, they are still making the same mistakes that Crystal Palace made towards the back end of last season, that terrible run of form. But with Benteke, that'll give them something else. It'll give them a target. It'll get give them something to build around them. It's, I don't understand why Kabai is not playing at the moment. Um, but hopefully, if, if Benteke comes in, Kabai could be that fir- perfect man to find him. Is it, is it something to do with a break after, the channels. I mean, it, surely it can't be to do with a break after the Euros. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think that should be an excuse for any of these players. They're all professional athletes. I think having three weeks off should be enough for them. Um, you know, you look at Paul Pogba, how he's just come straight back into Manchester United. Um, why can't other players do that? I'm not he, too I mean, sure. To be fair, he's still young, etc. So yeah, but. yeah, yeah it's, it's a solid point. But yeah, I think that um, this Palace team, they need to just get the best out of Benteke. It's crazy. Benteke, since he joined the Premier League, is ranked fifth in goals scored behind the likes of Aguero, um, Romain Percy Suarez, um, Lukaku, and so forth. During so he has different series. He, series, he can series. score goals. Um, yeah. but the thing with Benteke is a crazy stat like 75% of his goals come in the second half of the season, so after January the 1st. So Palace need to find a stopgap 
before that time when Benteke decides to score goals or try and get him involved nice and early. I just worry that without Balassi, who, yes, he was £25 million, yes, that was far too much for the player of his his quality, you know, around 15, 16 would probably be my maximum, but he really gave Palace a, a lot um, playing as a number 10 last season, playing on the left, playing on the right, just drifting around and, and causing problems. And I don't think we're seeing that yet from Andros Townsend. Um, Andros Townsend or, was, was very much embarrassed, but I can't remember if it was Lamella. It was Lamella, yeah. No, like, if you've not seen that, go and check that out. It's like a nutmeg. It's unbelievable. But yeah, and, I think and there's also Danny Rose in the very far background of it. Uh, he puts his <laughs> yeah, hands crack head, it up. Which is, which he's, he <laughs> oh, puts bro, his hands what, on you've his just done that, it's man. Ridiculous. It's very funny. Yeah. But I think Tottenham as well is an interesting one. Um, Deli Ali uh, starting on the bench. He hasn't been in the greatest of form. In the Euros, he wasn't great and he's not really hit the lights of last season so far, but he's a young player and needs time. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the Tottenham, uh, they still look a little bit tired, um, is an excuse, whatever. they. But then again, Tottenham started slow last season. I think they picked up four points from the first four games. So Tottenham sort of kick on after that. They, they start poorly and they end poorly. But in that middle part, we're going to see some wonderful Harry Kane goals. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Moving on, it's the all-Italian derby, Chris. And uh, again, Chelsea win it late with a Diego Costa goal. Is it that simple? I think so. I think they showed decent resilience. If you base the first half, it was all Watford. Watford deserved to win it. But then, after that, I think they showed a little bit of versatility. The issue I have with Chelsea personally is what do you do with Fabregas? Because he's on far too much money to be a substitute or a closer, which is what I think he's quickly developing into with Chelsea. And um, so what what do you do with him? Uh, ah. I think the answer is N'Golo Conte. He's still Conte in your thoughts. covered loads of ground in it last season, won tackles intercepted. And Fabregas came on, didn't he? Sort of like through Conte, um, made three changes, uh, 78th minute Fabregas comes on, you know, Chelsea scored two goals and goals to win the game. The pass for the Costa goal was of such high quality that if you can get, you know, if you can get Fabregas, the midfield partner that can do the running, that can do two roles in midfield, um, you know, 
be the recycler and, and be the shuttler. You're on to a winner there. You know, Mourinho did that with Matic. Matic was played that duality of roles. Kante can do that. And if Conte wanted to go for a 4-4-2, because Bashuai again, has, has been really impressive. Um, and Costa Bashuai is a good little partnership there. If they can get, um, you know, Victor Moses as well in the side, someone that works hard, play a 4-4-2 and just go for it. You know, that could be an option. Interesting. Chris? I agree. Very good point. Good. Um, and obviously, uh, obviously, Watford will feel a little bit hard done by in this game. Uh, but... <laughs> Whilst we sort of tip them to have troubles this season, uh, they sort of continue to Watford on, don't they, Chris? Yeah, it's the constant change that unsettles me about Watford. There's a lot of potential there. They've got quite a decent grip on the market, I think. But the fact that they're so eager to kind of change things every season, um, I mean, I don't know really how much say they had in Sanchez Flores actually leaving. I would like them to establish some semblance of continuity you know, through the next few years. Not just of the key players, the likes of uh, Igalo and Dini, but actually manage a, a real core and start to maybe even start to push through some from the academy again. Because my image of Watford was always kind of Ashley Young and having a decent academy and being able to prom- promote from within. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because that, that has changed, hasn't it? Uh, although, actually, it's sort of just promoting from within, but within the wider network. Uh, you know what? I also get. I guess that they're sort of banking on the fact that uh, it's their own system. It's sort of their own family, if you like. Um, so they've got this network, and they can almost operate within that. I guess they feel like they've just widened the zone of a club. But I, it, it looks unusual within English football, um, and it still sort of looks. It, it strikes me that if the, the, the if the family or the, the network pulls out at any time, then uh, you, the club might be in trouble. And I think that's the problem: is you, the club. Um, the, you, they they just look very vulnerable if anyone wants to go or sell on or something like that. Do you know what I mean? What's going to happen if those guys end up leaving? They've not necessarily got a sustainable model. That's what's interesting. Uh, West Brom 1, Everton 2. Uh, Chris Kuman with his first Premier League win. Good win as well, I thought. Um, solid performance from the Mason Holgate I thought was quite impressive for someone who is quite young. I think he'll come in this season and, and could actually be one of the breakout players, um, which is quite hard for a defender to do, really. But I think it's possible. He's, he's definitely got a lot of talent. Um, the interesting thing, I think, for me, with Everton moving into the last sort of period of the the window is who do they sign? Because they've, they've clearly got money. It's just deciding on whether to go abroad and take that slight risk of them not adjusting this season or going for the, the proven ones like they have with Blassie. I think overall they'll have a good season. I think Coleman addresses uh, a lot of issues that they had last season and actually fixes them while also giving them some added benefits. So, yeah, I think it'll be a good season if you're an Everton fan. Mm. Uh, whereas with West Brom, Dave, 2-1, um, obviously the loss. Uh, comments around the club seem to be that they, they still need to be moving forward a little faster than they are. Uh, the, the typical feeling of inertia almost. Uh, at West Brom right now. Yeah, so they, they you know they they look at they were in the market for a striker. They could have gone for Benteke. They didn't do. But again, three points from the first two games for a team that is probably looking to hit that fifty po- goal and fifty point mark for Tony Pulis. Probably okay. You know, this uh, Everton team is a new team. They're playing a different formation to a lot of Premier League teams. We've seen you know three four three, which is uh, quite impressive. But yeah, I just think. This West Brom team will have enough what it, uh, enough to get over the line, but again, you know the, the issue with Berahino and him 
being in a weird place, you know, leaving, not leaving, but still around and, you know, starting the game yesterday, not having the greatest of games, failing to register a shot on target, getting booked, um, only completing 76% of his passes. It's one of those things where you kind of want more, you, you want more from your, your striker than that. And, you know, Rondon and Berahino could work together, but I think Berahino needs to know what's going on. Is he going to go to Stoke or is he going to stay at West Bromwich Albion? For the near future, you know, the, the decision needs to be made with his career, I think. It's unusual, because, I mean, if you were him, you'd sort of... I don't know, you feel like if he, if he was committed to that situation, then there's almost... Why would you go to Stoke? Yeah, it's, it's sort of moving to a similar a similar club, in a way, no offence. You know, the two teams that are pretty much have... They've become mid-table sides, in a way. And I just feel that uh, he just needs to kick on. He needs to put the effort in, or he needs to just assert himself and be like, OK, we're, we're at West Brom for the next month. Or the next five days. Let's let's just take those small, um, I'll be here for small a sort of periods, and, and then the and then push on, and just keep keep pushing and keep like sticking to to what he's doing and, and improving. Because there's a, definitely a player in there somewhere. There's definitely a decent decent player in there. But it's just it's just been managed in a terrible way. And I feel I do feel a bit sorry for him. But it's just I don't know. I don't know how to solve that problem. Um, and you'd say Matt Phillips as well. Maybe not. Uh, asserting himself as, uh, as well on the game also so I think with West Brom they just need to tick it over keep ticking uh, well done though West Brom uh, well done Everton lovely kit likeable side uh, a friend of mine uh, Chris was saying that there's still only one issue with that side and it's that Ross Barkley, Barkley looks like a bully from high school can't believe that can get behind that. I'm not saying he also he missed a golden opportunity as yeah, well. Yeah, Which, I mean, because he looks like thing. a bully. You feel a bit. You feel a bit happy about. Well, everyone said last season he was. What was it? He was quite poor and inconsistent. He got. I think it was eight goals and eight assists. So it's not a terrible return from a midfielder. Um, I think it's very respectable. I think the thing with him is though he was expected to change games, and I don't know if he does that enough. Um, so I'm curious to see what Coleman can do for him, maybe give him a bit more structure. Uh, yes, uh, structure is, does seem to be what he's adding to this side with a little more flair, um, which is fascinating because obviously we were questioning whether he could do that away from somewhere else. But then, oh yeah, I suppose uh, Martinez didn't leave all that much structure in that sense. Um, let's move on then. Uh, last season's champions, Leicester. And I'm going to keep saying that because, you know, it's just fun, isn't it? Um, it took on Arsenal at home. Um, Arsenal much improved, Dave? Um, I t- you see, with Arsenal, there's all this terrible thing going on at the club moment where it's very poison. It's just poisonous environment at the Sorry, moment. Sorry, Dave, I- Dave, Dave, you need to start that uh, comment with uh, Arsenal Fan TV. <laughs> um, you said, do you want me to go to back, Lawrence? No, 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 it's absolutely fine. You can uh, no, cool, cool. Yeah, continue. Yeah. Um, but I, I think defensively, they were very good. Um, I'm thought Czech had a really good game, made a number of brilliant saves. Koscielny is just a 10 out of 10 player every week. Every time I see him, he's just fantastic. Uh, I think he's, he's definitely the best centre-back in the Premier League for me at the moment. Um, with Rob Holding, who again was very, very impressive. Wenger exploded after the game, um, defending Rob Holding and saying, you know, why is the media not talking about this young English centre-back that's 20 years old that's coming through that's been pretty brilliant in the two games that he's he's played from from what I've seen um, they're talking about all this you know negative uh, other parts of the game I also think Monreal was brilliant defended very well I love how Monreal dominates the penalty area area when crosses come in from the other flank I think that's something that you need as a fullback with goal scoring wingers um, coming into the game in the last 
five, six seasons. Fullbacks need to be able to defend crosses. You know, we, we look at Gareth Bale as as a goal scoring winger, and what does he do? He scores a lot of goals with his head. Ten goals in his head since from his head from since the last start of last season. Um, and I feel like Monreal really has that ability to win aerial duels, which I think is a, a great strength. I thought Bellerin had a very good game up until the trip on Musa that should have uh, gifted Leicester that penalty, but I thought going forward he was good. But the issue, issue for Arsenal was the, the, the front line. You know, the Chamberlain looked good for the first 15 minutes and then drifted out. Sanchez had one of the worst performances I've ever seen him play, but he was absolutely awful. Um, was too far away from the ball at points, and then when he got on the ball, he was playing stupid... 30-yard passes. I just, it was all wrong going forward for Arsenal. It didn't work out at all. And seeing Joel Campbell going on loan to Sporting Lisbon after impressing a little bit last season is a bit of a worry. Olivier Giroud's back, which will be good. Mezit looked brilliant when he came on, actually. So as soon as Arsenal can get him back into the side, I imagine they're going to be you know, pushing again. But it's just it's a bit worrying for Arsenal. It just seems a bit toxic. And seems like Wenger's days may you know, be coming to an end if the fans can get their, their sort of wish, in a way. Yeah, uh, Gloop uh, tweeting us about uh, Joel Campbell going away on loan. Uh, he said, will loaning out Joel Campbell to Sporting prove costly for Arsenal if no one else comes in to bolster their options? Hashtag Barry Bowles. Um, it, I mean, it, it does, it is interesting because Joel Campbell was that option really, wasn't he? I, th- I, thought, he was, I thought he was the option. He is the option. Yeah, it was really, really good. He, I, every time I've, uh, I saw him last season, I was impressed with his movement. I was impressed with his composure. Really composed in the penalty area. It's like some players, it just slows down in those zones. And it looked like Joe, it slowed down for Joe Cam- Joel Campbell, which is something you can't teach. It's something you can't coach. It's just inherently in a player. Um, and I just think it's a bit of a shame, really. I really do. I, I, I was impressed by him. And that's why I'm so flabbergasted with Arsenal's lack of ability up top at the moment. Letting someone like Joel Campbell go. Yeah, uh, it is interesting, and we've—I think—a lot of discussion has been around the way that the club is perceived in the media. Chris, uh, again, we go on Media Watch uh, as over the past week on two separate reputable podcasts. Arsenal fan TV has absolutely taken a pasting from journalists and pundits. Um, It—I mean—that's not—that's not fantastic for the club because that if they represent the voice, um, then the voice is being mocked right now of the fans. How do you sort of how do you play that off? Because essentially, uh, you know, the guys who own the channel are going to say, "Well, we represent the voice, and we feel like we do it responsibly." And other people are going to sort of say, "We don't feel that way." Um, it's. I mean, I watched it last night. Um, didn't really enjoy it that much, to be honest. Um, there's, well, there's nothing enjoyable about watching a car crash. No, I don't even mean from sort of a like a Schadenfreude element. I just. I just find the whole thing very vacuous. The, I just, the, I just, the whole fan cam. I mean, but the, the, the difference no, is... No, Chris, no, no, not even the whole fan cam movement. I wouldn't go that far because honestly, I don't watch enough of them to be able to comment on the whole entirety of them. Yeah, you're not I a don't critic. Watch. Yeah. Um, but I just found the opinions and the way they were conveyed just... To me, it feels too much like people trying to make a name for themselves. Um, in the same month year that we had one of their kind of prominent guys go into the big brother house or whatever whatever it's gone by these days how did that what yeah what was it it's the the blonde one oh the big the big big fella yeah did he go into big brother he did yeah oh god Uh, oh i'm so sorry for him so in the same year that we had that i just think it's too many people trying to 
to act big and clever when actually, to be honest, their points really aren't. I mean, did, did he go point. out? Because actually, if you can mobilise Arsenal fans, they are great at public votes. So, you know... I just, I there's know, sort I, of a logic there, isn't there? That you know, if you get if you get someone in who who people will back, um, that's great. I, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a gunner and he's gunning, is what you're saying, Chris? Yeah, I mean, you know, they just. I could understand if it was well constructed. I mean, I say that there is one guy who clearly does kind of rehearse his bit Robbie. that he's going to say, and right. he is actually. Um, no, it's not Robbie. Robbie doesn't know. <laughs> Just about anyone who doesn't get that job. Um, I, I like right? he's a, he's a, Robbie's a lovely guy. I mean, we've all, we, having all been in the circle, we've all met. You know, we've all met and spoken. You know, I've done a lot of shows with Robbie. I've seen him around the office. He's a nice guy. Yeah, his heart's in a good place. Yeah, it's where it's supposed to be um, from a biological standpoint. Um, okay. I think, I, like I said, I just think those those sort of fan cams and. and with Arsenal, it's just people trying to, to look clever and actually being quite rude about the whole situation. I get that you're passionate, I get all that kind of stuff, but the points are very superficial. They're not actually rooted in anything. It's a lot of assumption. It's a lot of, well, go and buy this player or go and buy that player with no actual consideration for whether they could be sold, how much it would be for. It's a lot of assumed knowledge. And it, was also, it was also interesting, Chris, because the team that they were sort of insulted that Jamie Vardy stayed at, held them nil-nil. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, they were facing the champions. I think maybe a little bit more respect for that would have been nice um, because they didn't just turn to, to crap overnight. You know, they're, they're still the same team bar one change in midfield. And and just in general, it, it's all it's all a little bit expectant. It's all a little bit... Do you, do you know the, the, what I mean? Kind of, there's, there's a no sense, of, entitle- there's the a sense of entitlement about it, yeah. almost, which is it's tricky. a massive sense of entitlement. And uh, personally, I just haven't got a, a great love for it because they kind of just see their position as uh, permanent, and you know, will always be this. And or, I just think, eh. yeah, I appreciate it, there's not a lot of articulation to that, or well, no, to the point I, I think, I think just I'm going to great deal of time for it at, yeah. at the precise moment, and the fact that kind of consistently we keep getting told that this is the future of content and in inverted commas if, if it really is we're absolutely fucked are you content with gone. content um d- yes solo reprise dave um let's talk about uh sunderland one middlesbrough two middlesbrough yeah, I think they're, they're very impressive. I think the side that we expected them to be, they're coming back. Crank has got a well-drilled unit. Quite, There's a lot of similarities between Manchester United at the moment and Middlesbrough in terms of how they defend. Both playing red. Two banks of four, um, with you know one off, one up top. And it's just, they're defensively very, very good. And there's a stat that really jumps out to me as, uh, you know, again, we're talking about, before we were talking about how Liverpool struggled because they shot from outside the area a lot, Burnley um, reduced them to that. So, in terms of shots on target faced, so I'd, if I had a defence, one of the metrics I'd use to see their level of performance would be shots on target faced um, compared to your league average. So, you look at that table now. So, Manchester United have conceded the least shots on target in the Premier League this season with four. Then it's Chelsea, who are on five, and then Borough on six. So, I think that's testament to their defensive work. And again, today they were brilliant. I thought George Friend was very good. 
Grado and Strani were, were brilliant going forward. Um, very impressed with their midfield. You know, Adam, Adam Clayton. I'm a, a big fan of Adam Clayton. I think he gets around well, gets in your face. But I just think it was a it was a good team performance. And uh, you know, bringing on someone like David Nugent to do some running at the end, it just feels like Cranker's in a very good place with his squad right now. Mm. Um, and it feels like they Borough will definitely stay up for me. It is interesting because obviously teams start the season like this, and then as certain players sort of get taken out for injury or sort of uh, fatigue and those sort of things. I think that's where the challenge with the managers comes in. Uh, and it's sort of about 10 games in where you're starting to get that. But it, it's still fascinating yeah, to see what they're doing. I kind, of, I kind of feel with them as well that like, you could interchange. Like, that, that's a, a solid point. Yeah, we'll see in 10 games if there's some injuries. But I feel like you could interchange players and bring them in and they'd still fit the system and um, it'd work. You know, you look at that. The second goal that they scored was a brilliant team move. Negredo with... Composure twenty just chills out in the box and slides it across to his um his his strike partner or a partner in crime and it just I feel like this I just feel like this Borough team they just have it all right now and I feel like you could bring other players in and out and so forth you know if Negredo gets injured Jordan Rose comes in I think they've got quite a bit of depth there in terms of what what they're doing and and how they play football now they win football games. Goose lol. Yeah, Guzan was. didn't have the greatest game. That that save was atrocious. He got down quite well, but if you're not going to catch the ball, you've got to palm that away from goal. You've got to get it out of the danger zone. He just didn't do that at all, did he? It was <laughs> Van Olmbo. You know, credit to him for getting into penalty area, but Brad Guzan, you've got to work on your goalkeeping, lad. Well, because that is your role. Um, West Ham won Bournemouth nil to cap the weekend off, Chris, and it is well capped. Uh, thoughts this one took a while <laughs> um, which is unusual because actually both I think there's a lot of anticipation surrounding both sides yeah there was and <clears throat> you know there was a few stadium issues um, fans reporting seats not actually being there and then forced to sit on what was essentially just concrete um, the prices of kind of concessions and all that stuff was, was criticised as well for being needlessly high the stuff on the field, though, West Ham were missing a fair few of their attacking players, so I don't want to go in too hard on them. But I thought they were quite poor in the final third. I thought they lacked a little bit of a cutting edge. And I think the, the sending off, which was totally justified, did help them a lot. It did open the space a little bit more and, and meant they could essentially find Antonio in space um, towards the end to just kind of finish it off. But it wasn't great. I think from a Bournemouth perspective, I have a feeling it'll be a tough season for them. Um, having watched them, albeit two times now, um, they've it, seemed to have put a lot of faith in Jordan Ibe, and his his final ball is still an issue. He's a great ball carrier, but even just on Sunday against West Ham, he had a, an opportunity. You could argue mm. where the shot was the better option. Yeah, and he massively. Tried to square it, and it's again that might be confidence. It might just be you know someone not sure of themselves. I have a nasty feeling it's likely to do with him being a poor decision maker. Uh, Chris, do you reckon they'll 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 go down? You know, I've I've watched them as well, and I've not been impressed with them at all. I think they lack a lot um, without signings. Do you think they? they they almost look naive, or they look? I think Chris is right to sort of um, go down the decision making route with his analysis, isn't he? Yeah, I think so, hundred percent. I just think they lack something. They really do lack something in central midfield. They lack something up front. Um, defensively, they you know the, the back four doesn't look too bad, but I just think the midfield and attack it, it lacks Premier League quality for me. Yeah, I, th- I think the point at the central midfield is a really good option, uh, a really good point, even because you know they brought Dan Gosling on today, who yeah. I think steady Championship midfielder. I would never tag him as a Premier League one, and uh, and I wrote something 
fairly recently about Emerson Heinemann. And I said, you know, the fact that Bournemouth haven't got a wealth of quality central midfield options might help him. But even saying that, Emerson Heinemann, I would argue, is not ready for a regular spot in the Premier League at the would minute. You say so broken. They've they've got time at least. You know, they've got a little bit of time to go out and, and buy that central midfielder. I guess it's just who you buy. I think it needs to be someone that will take them from the centre of the field to the final third. That's that's what they need. They've got they've got the kind of water carrier who can do things. Guys like Carriata, um, they're okay. I think they've got enough of them. They need someone who can do something a little bit creative though, and a little bit special. Yeah. I'd kind of argue as well that potentially they need a, a destroyer as well. They, they look a little bit lightweight. You know, you, you mentioned Sermon, Arta and Fraser. For me, they're the same player. They've got three of the same player in the centre of the park and that's never good. I feel like they need someone like Kiarte. I'm a big fan of Kiarte. I think he carries the ball very well, breaks up the play nicely. If he was in their midfield and then maybe, yeah, like a creative player, I think that would be a lot better. But just, yeah, they just lack a lot. Mm. Let's hit part three of our notes here then, guys. Uh, La Liga burst out this weekend, didn't it, Dave? Yeah, it was good. Barcelona were emphatic, destroyed Real Betis. And I think the thing with them, they're, they're evolving again. Uh, they've, uh, you know, done very well to keep all their stars happy. Obviously, without Neymar, it gives their front free a little bit more balance. You know, having uh, Arda Turan has come in and done really well in Neymar's absence. But uh, the, the Messi goal that, um, that he scored from outside the area, I think it might have been the first Messi goal. Probably my favourite Messi goal ever. It's just hit with such, like it's hit with such power. You know, you look at Juan Mata, who's similar sort of like build and guile to Lionel Messi, um, but Juan Mata really struggles with hitting the ball hard. Messi just absolutely, the, the goal is just a joke. It's hit with such pace, such um, technique, and it's just a, it's, it's excellent. I don't know how to describe it better than that. It's just power, pure power, um, which you don't sort of expect. Um, I think they've dealt with the, um, the loss of Danny Alves quite well. Uh, Sergio Roberto uh, coming in and uh, playing pretty well. Completed 92% of his passes against Betis. Created five chances, got two assists. So I think so that they they've kind of found, the case, though, found that problem. They, 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 they knew that would be the case, though, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. But they, they, you know, it was a toss-up between Alex Vidal and uh, Sergio Roberto. And I'm kind of glad it's Sergio Roberto. I'm a big fan of him. He's very versatile and... You go back to the, the uh, Classico last season against Real, man of the match by a country mile, was brilliant. He played right midfield. He played, no, sorry, like right wing, and he was excellent. Again, see his, um, his ability to play anywhere, play in central midfield, play right back. And I kind of I like him just, just playing football. I think he's a very clean player. But Barcelona, yeah, starting off very well, Lawrence. Uh, obviously, Sevilla uh, won 6-4, Real Madrid, I think, comfortably won 3-0. Um, uh, yes, correct. Um Dave's there highlighting it for me in our notes. Uh, Gareth Bale has been directly involved in 80 goals since joining Real Madrid in 2013. 49 goals and 31 assists. Dave, is that is that good? That is pretty decent, Lawrence. That is yeah. pretty decent, yeah. It's obviously behind the levels of uh, Messi and, and ne- uh, Messi, Ronaldo and uh, Suarez, but it's a very good thing. And again, I thought Gareth Bale was brilliant. Uh, Real Madrid were, it was a youthful side. Asensio, again, was excellent. Go and check his goal out. He, his first touch is exquisite. He, he um, runs through, gets clean, gets played clean through. First touch is brilliant. Then he lobs the keeper. Bale was the was a difference maker. Scored a wonderful header. Um, he scored more goals I mentioned before with his head than any player in Europe's top five leagues. Pretty decent there. But his his last goal as well. Again played clean through, rounded the keeper. It's just Gareth Gareth Bale is is, is a wonderful player. Really is a wonderful player. Mm. Well, we will see. We will see. 
uh, more of that wonderment this season under Zidane. Uh, Rafa Benitez may be feeling a little forgotten at this point, uh, sadly. Uh, and then obviously Juventus uh, won uh, quite convincingly as well. Roma won 4-0. Uh, and then Dave, did that game between Lazio and uh, who are away to Atalanta finish 4-3? Yeah, I think it finished four three. What a game that was! You know, for, I, I really start to like. I've really started to get back into Syria. You know, back in the heyday when we were all kids, Syria was the place to, was the place to go. You know, all like the talented stars there: Ronaldo, uh, Christian, yeah, Batistuta, Vieri. You know, the list goes on and on. Crespo, uh, but it, there's goals. You know, AC Milan were in a very commanding position. They were in fact three uh, one up, um, and then Torino got another goal back three two, and then Torino got a penalty. 90 plus six minutes and uh, Donnarumma makes a brilliant save. You know, Milan's very young goalkeeper, very talented. What a wonderful save for the penalty and, and takes the three points back back to Milan for Milan. Um, but there was other high scoring games there. You know, mentioned the Lazio game, uh, Genoa beating Cagliari, you know, some, some Chievo beating into Milan. Um, and Napoli starting off with a draw, coming back from two goals down, uh, Dries Mertens taking over from Gonzalo Higuain as the main goal scorer. But yeah, Serie A is going to be exciting this year. Very exciting. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to cover more of it. Uh, and it's funny you should say that because um, we, will, we will be doing some uh, Serie A coverage this season. Chris and I actually need to speak about that post-podcast. Uh, let's take this to other shores internationally, though. And it's a beautiful shore uh, in Brazil right now where it's lined with Brazilians celebrating a football win, Chris. Uh, but is it the football win that maybe is being portrayed to them? It clearly meant something to Neymar because he burst into tears when he scored. It clearly meant something to the Brazilian players. I think because in the the context of their Olympics history, it was an achievement. I don't think it exercised the demons of 2014. No. Um, not yet. So, well, I mean, not, not in a very... I mean, in a sense, it did it in the press but not in a very sort of real sense. Mm. So I think to say that, you know, they shouldn't be celebrating or anything like that, or to to lament the tournament, that's a bit harsh because it's a, it's something they've wanted to win for a long time and haven't been able to. It it's, is it not... completed a, their gold wear, it completed their silverware, essentially. Mm, it's it's not a magic cure roll, though. It really isn't. And if, mm. if anything, I think in some ways it probably highlights... Because of how difficult they made it at times, I think that highlights the situation the Brazilian national team is at and, and the fact that it needs to improve significantly if it wants to be back to where it was. Excuse me. Um, but I mean, the, the, I mean, the problem is also, Chris, this, this isn't technically a, um, a full squad, really, is it? It's, it's very much um, a squad of... Uh, they're not cobbled together, but you know it's very much built around a couple of players, and then they're not water carriers, but sort of people who are told to play towards a certain style, which will benefit certain um, individuals. Yeah, it's, it's of course it's it's not the the current national team on on form in terms of selections. There are some you would imagine will have a future though, um, and I think that needs to be remembered. So. Like I say, it, I think it just shows, because in some ways, even if they don't have futures, it gauges the strength and depth across the country as a whole. So it gives you a different kind of evaluation. Yeah, so then contrast that, Dave, with the fact that um, I think Kristen said pre-podcast, uh, whilst uh, Brazil celebrated 
Germany didn't cry. Yeah, I think it, it's a really interesting part, you know, the, the contrasting Neymar tears and, and the German not having tears when, when they lost. I think it's, it, they, they treat it in a different way. It was the biggest thing in the world for Brazil. But for Germany, it was a development game, and it was a development game for these young players. And I think that's how... That's the two states of um, both teams at the moment that Brazil are searching for any bit of silverware they can. And Germany are very comfortable in their position dominating world football. And I think, again, so many talented young players in that Germany team that it's going to be just progress for them. A lot of players that are going to go on to, to really good things. You know, the Bender brothers partnering each other in midfield, which was quite nice. Uh, mm. But yeah, Germany aren't going to be too upset about that because it's all about the bigger pitch for them. Mm. Um, and yeah, and obviously, it, it, what is fascinating is the, the states of the two different presses um, and how people cover things in different ways to almost whip people up into a frenzy around this. Um, and, and almost how willing some people are to take part in that. Uh, you know, I think Neymar does feel very sort of linked to the people in that sense. Uh, and it, it clearly means something emotionally to him, uh, a ma- you know, a massive moment for him. But also, I guess, it is, it is part of experiencing that back in Brazil when you feel, maybe feel so far from home. And possibly also this, this, um, this whole situation is a good place for some of those guys to get into the market because, you know, B- Brazil uh, certainly very interesting in the way that they've distributed their players around the world. A lot, a lot of people coming from the Chinese market right now to take those players away. Uh, maybe some people looking for moves elsewhere um, for, for money or maybe even um, Europe. Some people can move too early, though, so let's see. And that is, that's very often the case with Brazilians. Let's see what happens with the Brazilians that Man City have signed. Um, now, not much more Olympics to cover. In fact, zero more Olympics to cover. We're not covering any of those events. Um, guys, very quickly, your thoughts on the West Ham standing. Uh, Chris, you mentioned it in the, the chat just then. There were some people who they essentially didn't have seats and then there's a there's a conversation going on around safe standing at the moment isn't there yeah this this wasn't really that it was just a case of there were no seats placed um i mean look it's not a football stadium at the end of the day it's it's an olympic stadium it's built for a totally different purpose which is you can debate the legitimacy of west ham just being given that stadium um I think it's telling, though, that, like we said before, the concessions are as high as they are um, because that, to me, suggests that they're trying to, to make every penny possible off this. I don't think the atmosphere is that good either. It's 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 a bowl shape, and I don't think a bowl shape is ever that conducive to a great atmosphere. Interesting. It's difficult to, to kind of separate who's who's who, if that makes sense. Um, I, well, I, I guess so, yeah. It all sort of fades into one, doesn't it? Or the rectangle ones. I mean, but then Barcelona are sort of looking to convert theirs into that. But then maybe that's for different reasons. And, and it's a very different sort of set of fans and very different atmosphere. Um, some people say it was great in the first few weeks, but I guess that's the difference, isn't it? Is that, you know, the initial impetus is very different from the long term going on there. Yeah, they've got the first game out of the way. Now it's, now it's time to, to build some history. Yeah, uh, well, let's see. Um, and over the past week, the owners being accused of... Uh, levelling debt onto the club uh, originally people allegedly misreporting uh, that the owners originally said that they would be debt free by this point apparently they said they'd be debt free to the banks um, which is interesting because I don't know who they are now in debt to um, but I suppose we'll find out in, in good in good time um, the Golden Sullivan so far have managed a lot of things very well at that club uh, thank you very much Charlie Walsh for uh, tweeting in about that and of course Josh as well. He was Josh 
Keeble. Yes, it was. Um, and then uh, Charlie. Yeah, really fascinating. Um, now, uh, someone else tweeted, and I can't remember who it was at this point. Um, it was about UFC. Uh, has UFC. Yeah, no. Ah, there we go. Uh, Chelsea FC. Oh, thanks, Chelsea. Uh, tweeted in saying, uh, can you talk about the McGregor Diaz fight? Can we ever? Uh, Kristen and I, I woke up at just the right time to catch the fight, having listened to Frank Ocean's new album. Let us know what you think of that. Uh, and Chris, you were wide awake, uh, ready, mm. and you and I experienced UFC together. We did. I mean, that sounds like we were rolled up, but. Um, God, that it was. An image. It was and a something good... that could happen for the right money. <laughs> it it was a good card overall. I mean, I think there was a good there was a good variety of fights. Um, obviously, the peak being McGregor Diaz, which was a war. That's the best word for it. It was an absolute war between the two of them. Um, I think it's telling that they went into it hitting each other and came out of it actually. I think quite respectful or feeling quite respectful towards each other and, and what they had both given to the fight. Um, interesting to see where McGregor goes next. I'm pleased he got redemption, so to speak, even if it wasn't entire redemption, it's just a little bit. But yeah, so we'll see what he does next. I'm a, a big fight fan three? of McGregor. I'm fight three, Chris? I don't think that'll be next for him. I think he'll maybe go back down a few weight classes. Um, to it, five, I think five. it will happen eventually. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He, he told Diaz he wants to go down a weight class, but it didn't seem like Diaz was that keen to do that in the, the post-match uh, interview or the yeah. post-fight interview. So we'll see. McGregor's got options, to be fair. Everybody wants to fight him. As as he takes uh, immense joy in telling everyone when, when they fight him, they tend to make money. So it means he's always going to have a competitor. And, it's a very good, and it is a very good point. Um, well made as well. Uh, it's fairly controversial. Some of the fighters, Chris, I mean, I don't really understand UFC in that sense. Um I mean, I do, but I, I'm not part of the world um, of UFC. Uh, do, do, do you sort of get what I'm saying? When the, pre the previous fighters sort of said, we don't need to do all this stuff in the press conference. It seemed like he was sort of taking a shot. He was, yeah, of course he was, because these two have been uh, like taking pop shots at each other all, all week. Well, no, no, I mean the guy who won before. The guy, the, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's yeah. taking okay. shots at them because they had done that all week. They'd shown no real respect to each other they haven't from the moment that they started um in the first fight you know mcgregor was given just as good as he got and and same again this time around and then it kind of i mean look it's one thing to talk crap about each other they then started throwing balls at each other um or be a plastic yeah yeah, yeah yeah from a distance in plastic bottles but yeah and it, even still though i think i think with ufc for a long time it struggled with the legitimacy and a view that it was nothing more than barbaric cage cage fighting, and that it was nothing like boxing at all. And boxing had a, a pageantry to it, and and it was legitimate in that sense. Now it's now it's kind of got that image of being a legitimate sport. Anything that sort of pushes it towards what it used to be perceived as is seen as detrimental. So that's why I think. The, the fighter that you're referencing was so desperate to kind of talk about the respect and all this and, and discourage people from booing the champion and all this because he's eager for it to have that similar prestige that, that we maybe associate that we maybe associate with boxing. Interesting. Uh, yeah, of course. There's a 
there's some interesting stuff to come up with Liverpool. Apparently, Liverpool is subject to a uh, takeover bid of 800 million uh, from a Chinese consortium. Apparently, FSG don't want to sell. Apparently, they're only willing to sell a share in the club. Let's see if someone takes a share. What they do with that share would be unusual because obviously the controlling share would stay with uh, FSG. Uh, and, and you know what? I think Liverpool fans are relatively happy with those guys um, and maybe don't want a sugar daddy. Um, some people do, maybe some people don't. I personally don't, as a Liverpool fan. Um, you know, I'm happy with the way that FSG are taking it and their relationship, all those sort of things. Um, so please don't sell. Uh, what I did find interesting the other day was, though, guys, obviously me plays for Burnley. It's one of the most off-putting uh, things to have a commentator say, me uh, does anything. So sort of uh, me in the back line today. And you're a bit like, are you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> One of those things, eh, Lawrence, really gets to you. It, well, it does, because it sounds like he's bragging. Um, or he's sort of like, <laughs> me with a really good header there. And you're like, mm, yeah, yeah, you with a really good header. <laughs> it's just unusual. And it, I don't know, it, it really, it really uh, strikes me as weird when you hear it said. Uh, and it's said quite regularly. Um, anyway, that was one thing that just struck me. This podcast has gone on way too long. Uh, anything else you guys noticed? <laughs> anything else you guys noticed on the weekend? Uh, well, not this weekend, but next weekend the Bundesliga returns. Very exciting stuff. Um, I think there's some pretty interesting teams in there. You know, the development of this Borussia Dortmund young side. You know, a lot of good, talented players have moved there in the summer. That's going to be interesting. Carlo Ancelotti um, at Bayern Munich. That's going to be great. A team that I, you know, we were talking about teams that uh, are going to be good to watch this season. So I sort of mentioned Sevilla, they're, they're already flying 10 goals in the last game, which is ridiculous, as you mentioned, Lawrence. Mm-hmm. But I really think Red Bull um, Leipzig or Rasing Ball Leipzig could be really good. They've got a lot of young, hungry players, and Red Bull obviously want this dominant attacking style. Um, so they could be quite good. You've got Nabal Keita in there, uh, Timo Werner that moved from Stuttgart, Massimo Bruno, very you know young attacking talent. So yeah, go and check out the Bundesliga next week. It's going to be fun. Uh, yes, and of course, uh, we will, we're probably going to end up covering some of these leagues on our channel, because I think that's part of why we started the YouTube channel. So if you're not already subscribed, go over to the YouTube channel, which is just type in the front three on YouTube, and you'll see the sim- you know, you'll see the three. Uh, go take a look. Uh, that, that channel is due to be populated very soon by Kristen's face and some of Dave's analysis, making it a good channel. Uh, and of course, <laughs> if you want to hear more from uh, Dave... Dave, you can go over to Dave Talks, I'm guessing, for three things you learned on the weekend, or three bullshit talking things. Talking points? Yeah, three talking points. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're talking about Man United's dominance and the big the big clash with you know Southampton. What? Do you know what, Dave, I've been to uh, Old Trafford more than I've been to Anfield recently, and I, it's a lovely stadium to go to. It is nice, isn't it? It's a nice yeah. ground. It's got I, mean, a... I like Am- I love Anfield, but I mean, you know, it, it's very... Am- Old Trafford seems like quite a welcoming place. Although uh, I was very close to the home fans whilst I was in the away fans section. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's really worrying when you're in the away fans section and you're standing there and you hear, he's on the Football Republic. He's a Liverpool fan. <laughs> and you just think, I'm so Shit. glad that this area is lined with security guards. <laughs> and the security guard sort of looks at you and they look back and they look at you and they look back 
Uh, yeah, that was pretty fascinating. And then when I was outside uh, with Full Time Devils, I sort of went to the Full Time Devils bit because we had to go and get some video with uh, Adam McCuller. It was quite nice. Um, I, I just, uh, out of nowhere comes a really nice guy. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but I got a photo with him. Maybe we'll tweet it out. Um, and he said uh, he was a guy who just moved over. Um, he'd been in England for like two months uh, and he was from Syria. I don't remember his name. Um, uh, and basically we just had a really nice conversation uh, and we spoke a little bit about football it was his first time going to see oh Jesus um, D- Dave you have an old fashioned phone or Kristen you have an old fashioned phone Kristen I think yeah great uh, and we had a really <laughs> lovely conversation he said he listened to the podcast a really nice guy uh, we took a lovely photo and then uh, he left oh I left actually and he stayed around he was a lovely guy I just want to say that. Uh, if you're ever in public, mm-hmm. come over and say hi. He said he listened to the podcast and he was from Syria, and that's, that's all that mattered. Um, yeah, anyway. We had a good conversation. Uh, <laughs> I think Kristen's currently taking a phone call. I'm guessing it, he's, he won't be back from it. Uh, go find him on Twitter. K-Henage. K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Well worth a look. Um, and he will be around on the podcast a lot longer. We maybe should change this to the front four. But that might change a few things. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Adam's away. Good luck, Adam. Uh, a lot of people tweeting in about how blonde Adam is going to be soon, Dave. That looks more <laughs> and more likely, especially after uh, after when... Was it Shaw who went down in the box? Um, yeah. Rooney sort of flicked the ball up into Zlatan's hand and there was a, a rapturous uh, applause that, that gripped Old Trafford as they realised that Zlatan was now on penalties. Mm, I think that's a you know it's a good move for Manchester United. And it's a good move for Zlatan in terms of getting goals and getting confidence. You know his penalty was brilliant, one of the best penalties of the weekend, I'd say. Yeah, I, I did actually. Yeah, I thought it was good. It was a good penalty. Um, mm. Zlatan, I'm a big fan. I, I'm to the point where I'm if if I could buy a Manchester United shirt with a number on the back, I'd probably get on my back uh, the number six for Paul Pogba, but the name's Zlatan. <laughs> <laughs> Always with the bloody banter, aren't you, Lawrence? No, I, genuinely, I think it would look really nice. Six Latin. Yeah, six with Latin above it. And then when someone says that's not in the mind, you say it is if you flip it. Oh, oh there you go. And then you flip There's them. the line. And then you flip them. Uh, no, that, that it was generally not the line. I was just sort of... <laughs> Did you see the... Uh, that was one last thing on the UFC. I didn't really um, say anything like But when Nate Diaz, in like the fourth, the fifth round... Yeah. Flips the flips the finger. Yeah, yeah. That was a bit like you know when you're playing a you know when you're playing a computer game and you can do that, uh, like you can yeah, do like, like a, <laughs> a move where you don't you don't really do anything. You just sort of you know like you I don't know what do you call it like uh, I, don't, I don't know what to call oh, I can't it. Remember it was in wrestling. Yeah, you used to be able to do that in the wrestling games. Uh, yeah, like in SmackDown Two, you could sort of press L two or R two, and they'd sort of do like Hulk Hogan shamed Hulk Hogan would would sort of uh, do like his ear thing. And The Rock would do like that come here thing. It was good. Just bring it. Uh, yeah. Was that his line? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Good. Anyway, uh, let us know what you thought of all the things we discussed on the podcast. And we'll see you again real soon on T. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. F3. Don't forget your questions in for Wednesday.